ago, I had just finished putting the baby to bed, and uh, I got myself in bed, and then uh, Anna put Judah to bed, she got into bed, and she was feeling particularly chatty that evening, so uh, rather than getting the sleep that we desperately, desperately needed, pray for us, we talked about the same things that you and your spouse talk about late at night. Probably spent 30 minutes talking about the exact same thing y'all talk about. Things like vampires, werewolves, mermaids, Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. The same conversation. You've heard it all before, right? So there we are. We're talking. And the conversation basically went like this. Number one, do you believe in any of these things? And number two, what would it take to get you to believe in any of these things? And some of these are pretty easy to dismiss off the bat, right? Let's not be ridiculous. Vampires, werewolves, mermaids, get them out of here. But Bigfoot. I mean, I don't know. That's that's a different story, right? Like, we've got a lot of woods around here. I'm not sure they've all been explored. So I'm pretty sold on Bigfoot. I'm not saying he exists. I'm just saying I'm pretty open to the possibility. Anna is not. And so she said, I wouldn't believe in Bigfoot unless they were to find a body or bones or something like that. Okay, fair enough. Well, I'm not sold on the Loch Ness Monster, okay? I'm not telling you Anna is, if that's what you're thinking. I think she wants me to make it very clear. She doesn't necessarily believe in it, but she's, she's really open, trust me. She's very open. So she was thinking that there's a good chance Loch Ness Monster exists. I'm not sold on it. And I said, I wouldn't believe in that thing unless they found a body or some bones or things like that, right? That's pretty, pretty fair. These were the simple conditions we laid out. This is what it would take to get us to believe in something that seems pretty impossible, right? And Thomas felt that same way on this morning. He had walked with Jesus. He was one of Jesus' faithful followers. He had watched Jesus die from afar, though. Thomas knew that his master was dead and gone. He knew that. He had witnessed it from afar. He had seen Jesus' lifeless body. Thomas had seen them put Jesus into the tomb. He had watched as they had sealed the tomb. He had seen the guards that were posted outside of the tomb. Thomas knew one thing for certain, and that was the fact that Jesus Christ was dead. But then the other disciples and the women came to him on this particular day, and they said, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Jesus is alive. And Thomas is no fool. He's not about to be made out to be a fool. For all he knew, this could be some sort of sick joke. It's kind of like, at least when I was in middle school, someone would come up to you and they'd be like, hey, did you know they wrote the word gullible on the ceiling? And then you'd look up and it's like, ha, ha, ha. And all of a sudden you're foolish now because it's like, of course it's not up there, right? Thomas isn't falling for that joke. He doesn't know what they're getting at, why they might be joking, and so he's not falling for it. So he says, unless, and then he lays out his conditions for belief. Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never, you can put it in all caps, underline it, circle it, I will never Believe. If you want me to believe something that sounds completely impossible, it's not going to happen unless. And I say all that to tell you this. Almost everyone in our world today has an unless. 
They have something that is holding them back, that is keeping them from believing the amazing truths revealed about Jesus in the Bible, especially the fact that after three days in the grave, Jesus Christ rose from the dead by the power of God. And they're not willing to believe that unless. Some people, they want a supernatural revelation of some sort. Some people will say, well, I wouldn't believe in Jesus and his resurrection unless God wrote a message in the sky that said, Jesus is alive, he's my son, stop stop disbelieving, start believing. Or some people might say, I wouldn't believe in Jesus unless he were to appear before me and say something like, hey, I'm Jesus, Uh, everything you read about me is true, I did die and I rose again, believe in me. For other people, they want some sort of undeniable historical evidence, which we do have lots of great historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, if they would just take the time to investigate it. And there are many in our world today who would claim they do not have an unless. There are countless people in our world today who would say that there is absolutely nothing that could get them to believe in Jesus and his resurrection. And I just know for a fact that's not true. The point is this, folks, whether people acknowledge it or not, whether they realize it or not, everybody has an unless. Something that is keeping them from believing that Jesus is exactly who he said he is and that he is alive today. And that's exactly how Thomas started our passage, isn't it? Thomas started the passage by saying, unless these things happen, I will never believe. And yet, by the end of the passage, what does he say? My Lord and my God. Now, when I read that, I'm wondering, how does something like that happen? How does a a man go one second from saying, I will never believe this, and then the very next second saying, my Lord and my God? How does something like that happen? And that's the question we need to consider this morning. What causes people to go from unbelief to belief? I would say this is incredibly important for us to to know what new, because we're engaging with unbelievers all the time in our world. We're constantly trying to share the gospel with others and tell people about Jesus. And if they are unbelievers, then we need to know the answer to this question. What is it that causes someone to go from saying, I will never believe, to crying out, my Lord and my God? I want you to see what the Bible has to say about this. Look at verses 24 and 25. The Bible says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Now personally, I think Thomas gets a bad rap. Okay, I like Thomas. I like him a lot. He's one of my favorite people in the Gospels because uh, Thomas is a realist like me who probably leans towards pessimism, right? Uh, If you were to ask me, is this glass half full or half empty? I'm not going to reply with either. I'm going to ask you, did you just pour it or have you been drinking? Because that is your answer. That is the answer, right? I'm a realist and my wife would say, no, I'm probably more of a pessimist, but I'm a realist who leans pessimist. And that's Thomas. That is Thomas through and through. He's a realist who leans pessimist, and we really kind of need to know this about Thomas to understand his mindset on this day. I mean, just think back to the very first time we encounter Thomas in the Gospels. Would you be surprised to learn that it's in a resurrection story? In John chapter 11, Jesus' good friend Lazarus had just died, and news came 
to Jesus that his friend Lazarus had died, but he didn't go immediately. He was going to wait a few more days. In fact, he was going to wait specifically four days because the Jewish people believed that after four days, a person could not be brought back from the dead. At that point, they were dead dead and they're staying that way. They can't come back. And so Jesus was going to wait four days to prove his power over death. But the problem with Jesus going to Lazarus is that the religious leaders had been trying to kill Jesus and his disciples. Specifically, they had been trying to stone them, and those same religious leaders were going to be attending Lazarus' funeral. And so you don't want to be there. And the disciples knew this, and they wanted to make sure Jesus knew this. And so they're like, hey, I don't know if you remember this, but those guys were trying to kill us, and they're going to be there, so maybe we shouldn't go there. And Jesus simply replies and says, let us go to him. It was a death sentence. You're going to the very place where people are trying to kill you. And Thomas, being a realist, he knows this. So our boy Thomas says in John eleven sixteen, let us go also, that we may die with him. Do you see what I mean? Like, that's Thomas. It's great, right? He, he knows he can't talk Jesus out of it. And so he's like, all right, fine. I guess we'll just go die too. That's what we're going to do today. We're just going to go die. So can't talk Jesus out of it. The very next time that we hear from Thomas in the Gospels comes in John 14. Jesus says some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. This is what he says in John 14, 1-4. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Now, Christians, that sounds amazing, does it not? Wonderful truth, and some of the most sweet words in Scripture. And, and yet, Thomas, the only part of that that Thomas heard was, and you know the place where I'm going. Well, Thomas is a realist. He needs details. He's thinking, did I miss something? So he replies and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? This is who Thomas is. He's just a normal, realist guy who wants answers. And when you know that about Thomas, it helps you to understand what he was thinking and what his mindset was on this day when he knows for a fact that Jesus is dead and yet everyone else comes to him and says, Thomas, guess what? Jesus is alive. Now, knowing what we know about Thomas now, is he going to believe that? No. He needs answers. He needs proof. And so he says, unless these things happen, I will never believe. Let me ask you something, church. Do you think Thomas was wrong for asking for such things? Was it wrong of Thomas to want to see the mark of the nails and put his finger in there, to see the mark of the spear, to put his hand in there? Was Thomas wrong for that? Well, th- these events that we're reading about happened one week after the first Easter. So let me take you back to that first Easter and that evening. The Bible says in John 20, verses 19 to 21, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now let me ask you, did you notice something there that you might not have noticed before? Thomas is not with the other disciples. We don't know why. We don't know where he is. But notice that Jesus specifically shows all the other disciples his hands. 
which bore the mark of the nails. He shows them his side, which bore the mark of the spear. And so it seems like Thomas is not asking for anything more than any of the other disciples received, right? But he is there. The other disciples saw. Thomas wants to touch. Clearly, Jesus is willing to offer a certain level of evidence of his being alive and no longer dead. But Thomas is not satisfied with the evidence that Jesus is willing to offer. He wants more, which is why I don't think it's appropriate to refer to Thomas as doubting Thomas. Because folks, this is not doubt. This is something else entirely. You see, if we really want to know what is it that causes people to go from unbelief to belief, the first thing that we really need to understand is that there's a big difference between doubt and determined unbelief. There's a big difference between doubt and determined unbelief. And this is where Thomas finds himself at this moment. He is not doubting that Jesus is alive. He's determined not to believe that Jesus is alive. You see this all in our world today, the difference between the two. Uh, For some reason, it's happening all the time in politics now. It seems like any time anyone loses any election, whether it's for president, mayor, governor, or anything in between, they do not doubt the results of the election. They're determined not to believe the results of the election. So we're very familiar with what this looks like. And the reason we have to understand this difference is because uh, we need to know how to minister to people. There are people in our world today and we're calling them doubters when in reality they are determined unbelievers. You can show them evidence after evidence after evidence and it will not matter to them because they are determined not to believe any of it. And this is especially true when it comes to Jesus and his resurrection. And what amazes me today is that people will think that Christians are silly for believing that Jesus is alive today. You should know better. We're living in a civilized world. We have all sorts of education, and we are far beyond myth and mythology at this point. So you silly Christians, you should know that that Jesus isn't actually alive today. They say that, and 99% of them have never once investigated the resurrection of Jesus. And I know this because almost everybody who investigates the the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus ends up becoming a believer. Most of them aren't even familiar with how much evidence there is historically to verify the resurrection of Jesus. For instance, let me just give you a few facts real quick. There is more evidence and, and better historically documented evidence to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead after three days than there is to believe that Julius Caesar ever crossed the Rubicon. Now, you learned about that in school, didn't you? And that's a a common phrase people to say today, you know, there's no going back at this point, you've crossed the Rubicon. There is more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than there is to believe that Julius Caesar ever once crossed the Rubicon. I've got one that will really blow your mind here. You might be more surprised to know this. There is more evidence and better historically documented evidence to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead after three days than there is to believe that a man named Alexander the Great ever even existed at all. Now, you'll never hear anyone doubt his existence, will you? They'll teach it in school. People write books about him. 
the earliest evidence that we have of the life of Alexander the Great comes 400 years after his death, written by other people and no one who was a contemporary of him. Now compare that to the historian Eusebius said that the Gospel of Matthew was written in A.D. 41. That's less than 10 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And not only is it only 10 years, his resurrection is then recorded in all four Gospels, and then it's copied, those Gospels are copied, they're transmitted, and they're passed down throughout the ages. To this day, we have 5,800 approximately Greek New Testament manuscripts, and that's just in Greek, not considering Syriac or anything else. 5,800 Greek New Testament manuscripts, and the accuracy and the reliability of those New Testament manuscripts, basically how they all match up with one another, has been shown even by secular historians. Hear me on this. These are atheists. These are people who do not believe in Jesus. The accuracy and the reliability has been shown to be 99.5% accurate and reliable. Meaning if you compare all 5,800 of those manuscripts, they match up 99.5% of the time. And the 0.5 is something like a spelling error or a misplaced comma. Can't blame them for that. I get it. But that's what they are. Now, if you don't think that's impressive, it might be easy to get 99.5% today because we have printers and the printing press and everything else. These were documents that were written in the first century. They didn't have that back then. And then they're copied throughout the years, and that's many years before they had a printing press. It seems like this is something that was overseen supernaturally. Something that was overseen by God himself. And if you want just to put that in even further perspective, this has been shown by, again, secular historians and people who do ancient documents. There is nothing in all of human history and antiquity that comes close to matching the accuracy and the reliability of the New Testament manuscripts that we have today. It's not even comparable. The historical record itself all but proves the fact that Jesus died and after three days he rose again by the power of God. Now, you might chalk that up to myth and mythology or anything else, but you look at the evidence, and I promise you, you will see, we have far better reason to believe in Jesus' resurrection than we have most of the things they teach you in school today. And praise God for that. That's why I say, you show this evidence to people today, and they still will reject it, won't they? They'll dismiss it. They'll discount it. They'll say it's just religious people writing religious documents. So what do you do with that? Because that's not doubt. That's determined unbelief. They are not going to believe in this. So what do you do with that? How do you get someone to go from unbelief to belief? And it requires a special approach. I want you to notice how Jesus handled it. Look at verses 26 through 29. The Bible says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas With them, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Now, there are many things I, I want you to notice here, but one of the main things I want you to notice is, is, did you notice that the thing that made Thomas go from unbelief to belief was not the fulfillment of his list of conditions that he laid out beforehand? Thomas had said, unless I put my finger in the holes and unless I touch his side, I will never believe. And so Jesus says, okay, do it. Here are my hands. Here's my side. You're free to touch. And Thomas did not do it. He was sure, folks. He was sure that he would never believe unless those conditions were met. But at the end of the day, those conditions being met did not cause him to believe. And this is something important that we have to understand because as we are witnessing to others today, as we're telling them about Jesus and and trying to get them to believe in Jesus and his resurrection, we're going to be showing them evidence after evidence after evidence, just as Thomas had evidence presented to him. But the thing I want you to understand is that evidence can captivate the mind, but it cannot change the heart. Evidence can captivate the mind, but it cannot change the heart. That's exactly why you can present all these great evidences to people and they still will reject Jesus. It can intrigue your mind, it can captivate it, but it cannot change your heart. In other words, you cannot argue people into the kingdom of God. Wish I could go back to 2014 and tell myself that. No amount of evidence is going to change a person's heart and get them to believe in Jesus. And I know that because I know that there are plenty of people today who believe all of the evidence and yet they do not believe in Jesus. You think of someone like Bart Ehrman, who's a professor of the Bible in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He is a a person who knows the Bible better than most Christians. And he knows it in the original languages too. He himself is willing to admit that the Bible is the single best attested and most accurately recorded book in all of human history. And yet he's an atheist. Can quote the Bible in Greek. Teaches it at school. Doesn't believe a word of it. I think of Jordan Peterson who knows the Bible well. He goes around teaching the Bible. He is a proponent of the Bible's teaching. He endorses it. And yet he remains a firm unbeliever. I think of the countless Jehovah's Witnesses that I have personally witnessed to over the years who come to my porch, or if I just happen to be at the Merle's house, come to the Merle's porch on that day. Countless Jehovah's Witnesses over the years, and they all get to a point where they will say something like this to me. It seems like what you're saying is true, but I don't believe it. That's why I'm saying no amount of evidence... No no matter how convincing it may be, can change a person's heart and cause them to believe. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't ever show evidence. I just gave you a lot of great evidence. But it just means that evidence is a means to an end. It's supposed to encourage someone to seek out Jesus. They are not supposed to become a believer based on historical evidence alone. You see, it means that unbelief requires something more than evidence. My question is, well, what what does it require then? If if an unbeliever needs something more than evidence, what is that thing? And it's Jesus, isn't it? Right? I mean, that's exactly what happened in Thomas' case. Thomas was not convinced by evidence or by the meeting of the conditions of his requirements. Thomas was convinced because he had a personal encounter with the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, we've been talking a lot this morning about people having an unless. Unless these things happen, I will never believe. 
People today say, unless these things happen, I will never believe, just as Thomas did on that day. But at the end of the day, folks, the whole point is this. Unless you have a personal encounter with Jesus, you will never believe. You might think you have a bunch of conditions laid out. You might think that they all have to be met exactly the way that you have laid them out for Jesus. But at the end of the day, none of those things ultimately matter. Unless you have a personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ, you will never believe. You see, I did not become a believer because someone presented me with convincing evidence. I did not become a believer because an apologist made an argument that I could not refute. I became a believer in Jesus because in my darkest moment, When I was literally about to take my own life, I had the whole pill bottle in my hand. I started reading the Bible as a last-ditch effort. And as our good friend Harold Korn likes to say, the author showed up. I was prepared to take my own life, and Jesus interceded for me. Jesus met me in my darkest moment. Jesus came to me when I needed Him the most. And there was no evidence. There was no historically documented evidence. There was no convincing argument. I just met the Savior. And He gave me exactly what I needed most in that moment, which was nothing other than His loving presence. And my life has never been the same. And I can tell you that's the exact same story, a version of it at least, for every Christian here this morning. You ask any Christian here this morning why they're a believer in Jesus, and they will not say evidence or argument. They will say it's because they had a personal, undeniable encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and their lives have never been the same. Praise God for that. You see, folks, the same thing happened to Thomas. Jesus knew Thomas. Did you see that in these verses? Did you notice that when Thomas laid out his conditions for belief, Jesus wasn't even physically present? Thomas said, unless I see those nail marks and I put my finger in there, when Jesus does come into the room, he says, Thomas, look at my hands. Put your finger in there. Before Jesus got there, Thomas said, unless I see that mark in his side and I put my hand in there. When Jesus comes in the room, he says, Thomas, do you see my side? Touch it. Jesus knew Thomas. He knew everything about Thomas. And he knew that what Thomas needed most was not for his list of conditions to be met. What Thomas needed most was to see Jesus. To hear Jesus. To know that Jesus was there and present and that Jesus knew Thomas. And so when Thomas has the opportunity to fulfill his list of conditions, he rejects it entirely. He no longer puts any demands before his faith. He drops all objections and he confesses, My Lord and my God. In other words, I see the evidence that you are Jesus, that you died on the cross. I see the marks in your hands. I see that that marking in your side. I know that you are Jesus who died and yet you are here. And the only way that you could be here is if you are God in the flesh. And so Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God. Is there a better confession in the Bible than that? You take someone who said, I will never believe this. And a second later, after meeting Jesus Christ, he says, you are truly God. 
And here's what amazes me about Thomas. Everything changed for him. Thomas didn't become a believer because Jesus met his list of demands. Thomas became a believer because he met Jesus. And if you look at his life after this account, Thomas ends up going to India. And he preaches the gospel boldly in India. Telling people that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for their sins and was raised after three days. He went to India and preached that Jesus is alive and he died a martyr's death because of it. The man who said, I will never believe unless I see the mark of the spear was killed by people holding spears for telling people that Jesus is alive. That's what a personal encounter does to a person's life. You meet Jesus and he will totally transform your life. And so to everybody here this morning who might be a firm unbeliever, I want you to understand, even though you might not know Jesus yet, Jesus knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows your doubts. He knows your fears. He knows your concerns. Jesus knows your unless. He knows exactly what it is that is keeping you from believing in Him and His resurrection. And I want to encourage you this morning by telling you that Jesus is willing to tend to you as He tended to Thomas that day. As a loving patient, compassionate Savior who is willing to meet you right where you're at, right in the midst of your doubts, right in the midst of your determined unbelief, right in the midst of your objections. He will meet you right there with His loving presence and call you to follow Him. He will give you the mercy and the grace and the salvation that you need. To everyone here who does have an unless, If you're looking at your life this morning, you say it's fine for you to believe these things. You believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. You're okay. We're okay. We're all okay. Right? That's you this morning. Let me just encourage you with this. I know you think that unless those conditions are met, and unless you have whatever evidence you're looking for, you will never believe in Jesus. But let me tell you this. I promise you all it would take is one encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And like Thomas, you will go from saying, I will never believe, to saying, my Lord and my God. One encounter, that is all it takes. You don't need to seek out more evidence because no amount of evidence is going to be enough to change your heart. You need to seek out Jesus. Dig into His Word. Call out to Him in prayer. The Bible says, draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. The Bible says, look to me, all you ends of the earth, and be saved. So look to Jesus and be saved. You see, they say there are only two certainties in life. Death. Did you forget what season it is? Okay. I'm not going to report you, but I mean, come on. All right. Death and taxes. But that's not true for the Christian, is it? Because I can tell you with 100% absolute certainty this morning that Jesus Christ is alive today. He is ruling and reigning from on high. And listen to me, church, I want to encourage you with these words. Because He is risen, everything has changed. His resurrection ensures that we have been forgiven. Church, did you know that? Because Jesus is alive today, it means that the Father accepted His sacrifice on the cross. Which means you can be confident that Jesus' death was sufficient to pay the penalty for your sins. 
Let me encourage you more and say that it doesn't matter how long your rap sheet of sin is. Because the Bible says that our record of sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And so you can be confident that because Jesus is alive today, those who repent of their sins and trust in Him are fully forgiven. His resurrection also ensures our future resurrection. That though we die, yet shall we live. He is the firstborn of the dead, meaning everyone who repents of their sins and trusts in Him will one day experience a resurrection just like His. So because He is alive today, so will you be risen in faith through Him. And let me tell you, His resurrection also gives us hope. We have hope that we're not alone in this world because Jesus is always with us. We have hope that we will overcome this world because Jesus overcame this world. We have hope that the gospel will continue to go forward because Jesus empowers us. We have hope that the kingdom of God will continue to build and expand because Jesus reigns over it. We have hope that the church will prevail in the midst of wars and rumors of wars, in the midst of persecution. The church will stand because Jesus Christ is our foundation. We have hope because Jesus is alive today. Because of His resurrection, we have been born again to a new and living hope. And listen to me, church, His resurrection ensures our victory. We will have victory over sin, death, and Satan because Jesus has won the victory over sin, death, and Satan, and we get to take part in that. When Jesus rose from the dead, He crushed the head of the serpent. He threw death in its grave and He shattered the shackles of sin. And so now He secured an eternal redemption, a living hope, and an everlasting victory. Because He lives, everything has changed. And so in the words of Jesus, do not disbelieve, but believe. Amen?